The San Diego Padres and the rest of Major League Baseball, for being honest, had a relatively quiet deadline, especially compared to the last few years. But was it actually secretly one of the best streaks set of moves under the A.J. Preller regime? Oh yeah, how about that for a spin zone? Recapping the trade deadline and what the Padres received and gave away, and a little bit of last night's game as well. Big show today, let's get started. You are Locked On Padres. Your daily San Diego Padres podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Lockdown Padres Podcast, which is part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day for Wednesday, August 2nd, segundo, August 2nd. As always, I am your host with sometimes, occasionally, but certainly not always the most, Javier Reyes. You can follow me on Twitter at Javapeno, J-A-V-I-I-P-E-N-O, or if you don't like my my mixture, my amalgam of randomness over on that account. Check out at LO underscore Padres for updates on the team and the show. Um, and also check out Lockdown Padres on YouTube, where not too long ago we crossed the 1,000 subscribers and we're closing in on 1,100. So hopefully we can uh, boost those numbers up. The same way that the Padres might have boosted their own numbers, ladies and gentlemen, with yesterday's trade deadline extravaganza. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that because I don't think it was at all necessarily a deadline that is going to excite people. Um, that goes for many teams. I think that there was probably like a couple moves that are going to make headlines, a couple of teams that didn't make moves that are probably going to make a lot of headlines. But nonetheless, I actually think the Padres did quite well uh, yesterday, and we're going to talk about it. But first, let's take a second to recap the latest Padres news, which was actually a game. Yeah, that's right. We had a game yesterday. It feels weird uh, to have any sort of game on trade deadline day because it almost feels kind of a... Uh, kind of minor by comparison to what's going on here. And the Padres were able to win because it would have been funny that after all the moves they made yesterday, if they went out and lost another game to the Rockies, a team that they should have beaten on Monday, a team that they should always be beating, to be quite honest with you, at least have a favorable record against. But the past few years have shown that the Rockies bring out their best uh, against the Padres. And you saw it on Monday a little bit. And you almost saw it in this game, but mostly, thankfully, the Padres won the day, led by the one that I think was, I wasn't on the record saying I wanted to trade him, but I was on the record saying that I think it would have been interesting to explore the trade, and I thought that, as a conspiracy, I thought it was weird that they didn't extend him uh, this offseason, and that's Juan Soto having two home runs in last night's game, one being a three-run bomb, one being a solo shot. Uh, look, it, again, there, there was like a weird like period stretch where Padres fandom, maybe Padres Twitter, again, it could be just a, a, a circumstantial uh, type of surrounding thing for me. But it felt very much like people were, were, were ragging on Soto just a little bit. And I'm not talking about the beginning of the season. The beginning of the season, he wasn't playing well, like straight up. Like he was not playing well. He was hitting like 220 or something like that. His slugging was way down. He looked rough. And last year, he was also a little bit rough with the Padres when he first got there. But he's adjusted. And like I said, he's just been fantastic a, a two for five game with four ribbies and two home runs um doesn't actually draw a walk in this game he actually instead decides to get a stolen base which is hilarious or i'm not sorry i'm sorry not a stolen base that was kim who got a stolen base and cronenworth is the weird one that got a stolen base yesterday um but soto he's been awesome and he's and he's actually been immune to the padres curse this year with runners in scoring position and his on base percentage is actually the highest it's been since 2021 
which is very nice. It's sitting at a 424. He's been awesome. Uh, he's been awesome, and he's been much better than last year, which I think you can chalk up to just being a little bit of a down year by his standards. Don't get me wrong. He was still quite good last year, especially as a hitter. But this year, his offense has been so good that it's almost completely canceled out what he's done defensively. I mentioned on Monday the kind of base running mistake, or it was the third base coach making a mistake, whatever you know, whatever floats your boat, or his error in the outfield that allowed a ball to get past him and allow the runner to get even further. So don't get me wrong, his defense is still a problem. Uh, dare I say his speed overall might be a problem. And who knows if in a few years he's converted to like a first baseman instead of an outfielder. And to be honest with you, that wouldn't hurt this Padres team. Uh, but he, he, he was tremendous. And he's the story of this game. And he's been awesome with runners in scoring position. Basic, he might be officially the best on the team. Um, I'm going to check that really quickly. Next to Tatis, of course. Tatis has been excellent. Despite the weird stuff with his batting, he's still been excellent. And Tatis himself goes one for five in this game, but does get a nice two RBI double. I don't know why I phrased it like that. Um, and that's really good. Um, and it was with two outs, too, so some clutch hitting. I have said this before. Tatis has been on a little bit of a downturn lately. He's been a little bit of a slump. And I think part of that is because he's just not seeing many pitches and he's been swinging at everything wildly. Not that it's awful. He's so talented that when he makes contact, he's turning into a hit. Combine that with his speed, obviously. But, you know, it also results in, uh, I think, streaky play. And I think that's the way to describe Tatis this year. He's been a little bit streaky. Um, but, thankfully, this game, he does get a nice RBI for us. So I appreciate that very much, Fernando. Uh, so, again, I'm when I criticize Tatis, I just want to be clear. It's only because of what we know he can be. And what he can be is one of the elite players in baseball, top five players um, in baseball, but he just has not quite fully done that at the plate, at the plate yet. Uh, I think the defense has been a big part for why he's up there in F4 and why he should have been an all-star, et cetera, et cetera. I think that um, for the most part, though, Tatis has been probably better than we had any right to expect coming off the injury and the suspension. So shouts to Tatis. And in general, the rest of the game, you know, two for four day for Jake Cronenworth. I don't know if he'll turn this into anything. I totally don't. By the way, Tatis is still number one with runners in scoring position. Uh, 296 average. Then Soto with 284. Then Machado, finally, 257. Then Hassan Kim, 247. Then Gary Sanchez with 245. The really bad one here, um, if you're looking at the numbers. Like, Cronenworth, okay, yeah, he basically hits the same with runners in scoring position as he does without, right? 226 average. But then it's Xander Bogarts is the big one. Uh unsurprising to many and Manny Machado is sitting at 250 but keep in mind that he was a horrendous for like three months so it's just meant that he's been on so much fire lately that I think that his numbers will be inflated in that particular category um not that it not that he's bad it's just that um he has not been this way for the whole season Xander Bogarts has been this way for the whole season so he's the big problem but um Pedro Avila I forgot to mention um, gets the start in this one, and he does pretty damn good. He goes four innings, allows a run early, three walks, but only one earned run and strike out seven. So a really awesome call-up spot start for the lad. Uh, he's actually done pretty good uh, in his very few um, appearances so far back against uh, Cincinnati two days before July 4th, so July 2nd. Again, I'm phrasing things weirdly today. Uh, three innings, uh, four strikeouts, he didn't allow any runs. And then against Pittsburgh, he went two innings and allowed any runs. So I'm curious to see if, based on some of the new Padres um, acquisitions, whether or not they might send this guy down or they might make him up because he's been so successful. I mean, yes, it's the Rockies, but still, in Coors Field, I have always been like, 
yeah, it's an old fashioned way of viewing it, but I am always I think any pitcher is susceptible to getting lit up in course field. That's just how that ballpark is, no matter who you are. It doesn't benefit pitchers whatsoever. And it certainly doesn't benefit young pitchers like this who don't necessarily have the the most experience uh, in the world pitching. So it's actually Brent Honeywell that makes things a little bit scary for a moment. And Steven Wilson, both of them give up three runs in a combined three innings. Not great um, whatsoever, but thankfully the rest of the bullpen is able to kind of calm down and the offense stepped up. This is the first time I feel like we've seen in a while where the bullpen let up and then the offense stepped up and got some more insurance. Um, Tim Hill also giving up a run. Steven Wilson and Brent Honeywell, not great last night. But Robert Suarez, again, barely getting any strikeouts, but still not giving up any runs. So shouts to Robert Suarez, I guess. And Josh Hader getting into a tiny bit of trouble at the end of the game, but getting, or I shouldn't say Josh Hader. Tim Hill is the one who gets into trouble, and then Josh Hader comes in. Gets a little scary for a second, but the Padres end up winning. So again, a really solid night from the Padres. And I think it would have been, I had the tweets queued up to be like, this is exactly why you don't fully buy into this team if they had lost again, right? Because if they had lost again, it would have been, it would have sucked the air out of what I think was a pretty successful deadline for the team overall. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But before we talk about that, Ladies and gentlemen, I want to talk to you about something very special, and that is Sleeper. That's right. It's a really cool app. And I personally like it very much, very much, because I like using it for fantasy football. It's a great app. They've got these cute little mascot guys that you select, and they, like, fire little fireballs at each other or whatever. You know, what do you do well with your players? They have so much game history behind them, and they have, like, you can literally just check the fantasy score of a player's career. Like, you could go by specific weeks if you're just curious to, like, remember what it was like having those those players who only went off one week, like Mike Evans, you know what I mean? And then they, but they actually weren't that good for the whole year. Uh, it's fun to look at that stuff. And they also have Daily Fantasy, which is really great, too, because Daily Fantasy, from what I hear, is pretty popular. You people love your, your Daily Fantasy. Uh, so shouts to them um, very much. I am going to take, I think, today... I'm curious. This is this is tough. I think for today I'm going to take a... I'm feeling a Xander Bogarts day. I don't know. I might take him. I just think that Bogarts is due for at least something. Um, and I'm going to check his total bases actually right now. Um, I think that he's due though overall. I think he could be pretty solid today. So go take Xander Bogarts on his total bases. Um, I'm not betting on the Padres or uh, the Rockies uh, in this case. I'm not doing a total team score, but I would play some... Some some little daily fantasy stuff on Xander Bogarts, dynamic payouts, all sorts of stuff they got going for you guys. So go check it out. And if you use the promo code Locked On, Sleeper will match up your first deposit up to one hundred dollars. Predict the hottest baseball stats, like home runs, hits, strikeouts, whatever. You can do that. And remember, use the code Locked On, and Sleeper will match your first deposit up to one hundred dollars. Really cool stuff, everybody. So go check that out. Sleeper for fantasy football and daily fantasy. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen, here on the Lockdown Padres podcast. The only pod that may be better than the Padres themselves. I said this before, but I got to say it again. What can I say? It's a weird day um, because I am... How do I put this? I was so curious as to what route the Padres were going to go. And I think a lot of people were as well, because this team has been underperforming, but they're 
you know, under the radar stats, not even under the radar stats, to be quite honest with you, when when you look at their run differential, when you look at all of the stuff that they have with their defense, with their starting pitching, with, well, not successful this year, with their overall offense and the players that they have, you would think that they'd be a lot better than they are. Actually, if you go by, you know, adjusted ranking stuff on baseball reference, the Padres should be like eight games over 500 uh, in terms of like expected stuff. Um, but of course they haven't been. Part of that has been being just incapable of being clutch. It's been blowing games. It's been being 0-10 in extra innings, which is remarkable. Remarkable. It's almost not even a fault of Preller. To be quite honest with you, that a team is 0-10 in extra innings, I, that's just me. But I think they had a pretty good tra- trade deadline. So let's break it down, ladies and gentlemen. The Padres made a lot of moves yesterday. In fact, here's the full breakdown. They received Rich Hill, G-Man Choi, and Garrett Cooper, and Scott Barrow, and Sean Reynolds, and gave away Jackson Wolf, which is the Padres' number 16 prospect, old buddy, who started the game um, a couple weeks ago. I'm remembering it was, yeah, I saw Barbie, and then the game was like right after, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's what it was. But uh, they gave up him, Henry Williams, the number 10 prospect, Ryan Weathers, Estuar Suero, and Alfonso Rivas. Uh, I don't think the last two guys are all that major to talk about. They don't seem to be, you know, top-level prospects or anything like that. Ryan Weathers, giving him away. Uh, very interesting. I think that Ryan Weathers is one of those guys who, look, it hasn't worked out. He Every time he comes up, he has like a nice couple weeks, and then immediately it's almost like people people adapt to him. Like they're, like they're sentinels, right? Like they just kind of analyze Ryan Weathers really quickly, and eventually he just becomes a, a meh major league starter. Uh, barely startable, and he gives up a lot of hard contact, especially. Even if, I think he has some talent, though. I think unlike, say, Adrian Monahon, who I think that the book is out on him, and even in small kind of inklings, it just doesn't look like he's very successful. I think that shows you that just because, you know, you have a, a fastball that goes hard and a fastball spin that's hard, that doesn't make anything. You know what I mean? It's check out Hunter Green of the Reds. He's still got stuff to work on. And that guy averages like 102 miles an hour, right? So it just shows you that it's not all cut and dry when analyzing pitching prospects. And with Ryan Weathers, I think that he's not quite as the book is out on him. As compared to Adrian Monahon, I think that he has a pretty good changeup, 96 velocity, definitely has something in there. So I think that's why the Marlins might have been interested. And in fact, I think the Marlins have been actually interested in him for a while, especially from what I heard behind the scenes. So this makes a lot of sense for them. And then Jackson Wolf, uh, interesting player. Uh, I talked about it before, but I think that that last start that he did have for the Padres. Um, I don't want to say it was super lucky. They needed a spot start. He had the rain delay, but he gave up a lot of hits. Didn't get any strikeouts. In fact, he only got one whiff on the night. So that's not a major give up. I don't think he's huge. And Henry Williams, same sort of thing. We haven't really seen him all that much. But nonetheless, I think that for what the Padres received, you have to give up something. You know what I mean? And I think that while you hear me say things like number 16 prospect and number 10 prospect, and that might freak you out a little bit, remember that that's just like for Padres' system. This isn't top 10 in all of baseball or number 16 in all of baseball. And I think that when you look around also at the rest of the league, uh, all the deals that were going down, there was just prospects flying all over the place. There, there was all sort of stuff going on yesterday. But let's talk about the guys that the Padres actually acquired. And I think we should start with the first two that they acquired, who I did a little bit of a video on this, um, on this channel uh, when the trade came out. And I actually, uh, I mentioned that this Padres deal, it reminded me a little bit of what they had done uh, prior, a couple years ago in 2021, when they had acquired um, Daniel Hudson and then also, I think it was, yeah, Jake Marisnik 
at the deadline, and it was pretty underwhelming. Um, I think that that was completely different, but I'm just saying that the vein of which that they were going for. Uh, they were going for depth with those deals, and I think in this case they were going for depth, but I think that it was smart depth. And I think that when you look about two years ago and how many deals that were happening and the fact that the Padres weren't part of it and end up having that big collapse in the second half, um, whether or not you bring A.J. Peller for not making a big move is, you, you know, that's a totally separate discussion. But that's what this kind of reminded me of. But I think that this was actually better because I think these guys actually made more sense than Marisnik and Daniel Hudson did at the time. And starting with Rich Hill and G-Man Choi, that trade, look, Rich Hill hasn't been good. Everyone has been posting his baseball savant, which one of my least favorite things to do. Uh, not to sound like too much of a snob, but I just don't like it when everybody's analysis for the day is just posting the stat cast profile and calling it a day. Because not everybody, a lot of people are more than their peripherals. Um, a lot of players can be more than their peripherals. And most importantly, in the case of Rich Hill, I, I just don't think that he's a player that the Padres are looking at being some type of incredible difference maker. I think that he's just an added, added you know, kind of, slice of depth. I think he might make a spot start, maybe depending, that way they don't have to, you know, go with a Pedro Avila again, that way they don't have to go with, as they did before, a Jackson Wolf again. Maybe they use him as a spot start, maybe they use him as a piggyback sort of guy, and they kind of, you know, on a, on a day that some pitcher that they don't fully trust starts, maybe he comes in at the end, or he's just bullpen depth, whatever, or he's cut from the team in like a week. I don't know, all right? Rich, Rich Hill is not like the main prize here I think that he was just an added thing and in fairness remember Rich Hill has been good before like he's been good before I know he's super old don't get me wrong I'm not saying he's great or anything like that but he's had good seasons you know shouts to my guy Rich Hill uh the old lad that he is uh standing at an immaculate 43 years old uh maybe his curveball spin rate uh excited them but again there was a time when Rich Hill was, like, really, really, really good. Uh, like, 1.5 ERA in 2015, granted, and not that many starts. 2.12, 3.32, 3.66, 2.46, 3 He looks done now, don't get me wrong. His expected stats are bad, too. He has an ERA of 4.76 and expected a 5.59. So, he's not great. But I just think that in a limited role, and if they use him the correct way, maybe he's going to be a specialist out of the pen sometimes. I'm totally cool with that. And remember that the Padres' bullpen has been really, really rough this year. So I wouldn't be surprised if some things get moved around and maybe Luis Garcia gets dumped, maybe some other underperforming bullpen arms that I can't think of off the top of my head, um, you know, get set down or waved or whatever you want to call it. That might be what they do here. The big one that they acquired here was G-Man Choi. And G-Man Choi hasn't played all that much this year, but at times has been quite effective. And I watched him when he was on the Rays in particular. When he was on the Rays, I remember last year, I think he got off to a really hot start, and then he kind of he kind of cooled off. But I think that with G-Man Choi, this was a really solid move. First of all, love that we're going to have Hassan Kim and G-Man Choi, two Korean players, really awesome stuff. And for the most part of his career, he's had a WRC Plus above 100, which is good. Basically every year, except for this year, where he's only played in 23 games. So his numbers right now look pretty bad. 205, 224 on base, 507 slugging though, which is really nice with the home runs. But his overall WRC plus is bad at 87, but he hasn't played a lot this year. So I think that's part of it. So instead for him, you got to look at his career stats. 116 WRC plus last year, 117 the year before, 104, 122, 136, 163 for the six games that he played for the Yankees. But you get my point. And I think that with his career stats, the important thing to note here is that G-Man Choi hits very well against righties. And 
based on them also acquiring Garrett Cooper, who we'll talk about in a second, it's clear that they're going for the DH platoon again. Um, they tried doing that this offseason, obviously, the Padres. Uh, they <laughs> they were very unsuccessful. <laughs> uh, let me tell you, uh, the Padres with Nelson Cruz and with Matt Carpenter, one of which, uh, the former, being completely released, and I don't even know if he's on a team right now. I think, I forgot who might have picked him up recently, but... He was not very good for the Padres, and it looks like he was officially washed. They tried to get him at the end, maybe sneakily get some value out of the guy. What did he have left in the tank? The answer was not much. And Matt Carpenter is hitting like 160. So the Padres instead at the deadline decided to go with a fairly kind of easy, simple approach, which is that they got two guys who can platoon at DH. And for his career, G-Man Choi, not very good against left-handed pitching. Very much not very good. Very much not very good. That that was a weird way to phrase it. But you get my point. Against left-handed pitching, he has a 68 WRC+, plus, but against right-handed pitching, he has a 124 WRC+. Plus. So expect him to take up that DH spot when the Padres are facing righties, um, and hopefully that'll come in handy depending on you know what matchups they had you know, heading down the road. Um, the next trade that we got to talk about is Garrett Cooper. Garrett Cooper has not been that great this year either. Um, he was okay last year, though, and I've seen him actually get some 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 big hits uh, for the Miami Marlins. So, shouts to him. That's actually a pretty good, nice little, you know, if, you, if you're not into the, the stats, that's just some peripherals for you. And he's 32 years old. He has not been very good this year. He has a 96 WRC+. Plus. But, again, just like G-Man Choi, he's been above 100, been above 110 for a few years now. Uh, so, as a depth sort of player... I like both of these guys. They're not going to amaze you with defense. They're not going to amaze you with base running. They're not going to hit a ton of home runs. But if you look at their overall career stats, they are just above average players. And above average players is what this team needs. Again, like I said, 96 WRC plus this year. He's not doing very good at the plate. But it's a down year. And overall, when you look at his career, he's very good against left-handed pitching. And even this year, in a down year, he's got a 141 WRC plus against left-handed pitching. He's hitting 348 against lefties this year. He's been abysmal against righties, albeit with a decent slugging percentage at a 410. But that's what we're talking about here. I think it's as simple as that. This year, Garrett Cooper, 141 WRC plus against lefties. G-Man Choi, career-wise, because he hasn't played a lot this year, 124 against righties. So to me, that's I think that this was an awesome, awesome move. And it did not cost the Padres all that much. Which is great. Uh, I think that this is great. I think this is going to really help the team. We're not going to have moments when we're watching Matt Carpenter watch, you know, swing at three pitches, you know, one on the inside fastball. If you throw that guy fastballs, he's cooked, right? Like he just can't keep up with velocity at this point of his career. Uh, so instead, you're going to have these two guys that do very well against very specific teams. And I think a good comp for this is the San Francisco Giants, who have all sorts of players on their team with above 100 WRC pluses. You know, they're just average players that they platoon against the right pitchers. And I think that's why, if people are wondering why the Giants are successful, that's why. Don't get me wrong, they're, they're still star hunting and they really need a big superstar, um, which is something that the Padres obviously have uh, a plenty. But I think that if you are wondering why this is such a big deal, these two moves, I, w- I would say look at the Giants. Because um, everyone is always asking me, how are the Giants as good? How are the Giants as good? Because they have a lot of platoon guys, and they have a lot of guys that are good against, you know, Jack Peterson is like the poster boy for platoon hitting, right? Like, he can't really play the field, but he can hit some absolute bombs in the right matchup. So for me, that's what I'm looking at. I think Garrett Cooper and G-Man Choi, on paper, are awesome, awesome gets for this team. And that's not all. That's not all, ladies and gentlemen. 
they also acquired Scott Barlow. And I have to make an apology on this one. I talked about some, I talked about Alzale, I talked about, I think I even talked about um, Justin Lawrence on the Rockies, which obviously wasn't happening. You know, we talked about Jordan Hicks, we talked about, you know, David Robertson. We've, we've mentioned all sorts of relievers, and relievers aren't necessarily uh, a position that I get overly interested in uh, fully breaking down. You know what I mean? Unless it's like a big, big, big time trade, like say Josh Hader last year. But for the most part, Scott Barlow, he's a guy that's been on the trade market, it feels like, for a while now. Um, and each of the past two seasons, he's been quite effective. 2.18 ERA last season and a 2.42 ERA uh, the year before. Uh, so his he was he was pretty damn good, man. And the year before that, 2021, he had a 2.1 F4. That's pretty wild for a relieving, uh, relief pitcher. So quietly, very effective. Um, very high strikeout rate. Um, you know, during those two seasons, he was a lot better. His K rate was um, nearing the 30% range. Um, this year, 26.7 K rate. The big thing with him this year has been his walk rate. 12.5% walk rate is not great. And overall, his ERA at 5.35 is bad. So I think that that's why I forgot about him. So again, my apologies. I should have brought him up as a potential trade candidate because he has been um, successful before. Um, and I think the reason that I also never brought it up before was because we got no rumors on this guy. And this is what's so fun about the deadline and sports in general, dare I say, just to nerd out for a second, is that we talk about the same few guys, your Candelarios, your Justin Verlander, who was dealt yesterday too, your, you know, your your Josh Haters and Blake Snells, that we mentioned so many of the same guys that we forget that there's going to be guys we don't even know about that ends up getting traded. And they end up being good trades, in my opinion, at least on paper. And Scott Barlow is one of those players. I think that everyone's been scared off because he's had such a rough season because the walk rate has spiked. Um, pretty dramatically, um, specifically, <laughs> it's it's spiked by 5%, which isn't great. 7.6 last year, 12.5 this year. But overall, I think the Padres are looking, looking at some of his expected stats. His expected ERA is 3.82, and his FIP, field independent pitching, of course, is 3.64. So they basically are looking at, here's what you were the past two years. We think you have nowhere to go but up. And I like that. He's been very, very good and effective before, albeit on an unsuccessful team in the Royals. And I think that there might be some caution needed for a player who did well on a bad team because this Padres team in general, its relievers have been exceptionally bad at holding leads this year. Uh, but when they're down by four, they'll keep the 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 they'll keep the the Padres deficit by four for the rest of the game, right? That's what I've been joking about lately. So there might be a fear there that because it was such a bad Royals team, maybe he's not used to high leverage scenarios as much. But I still really like the move. And depending on Rich Hill and um Scott Barlow together, I think that it's just it's just solid. I just think that they're guys to take a bet on. That's what I think this whole deadline was. I think that this is AJ Preller and company saying, we're not giving up on the season, but we're not overly committing. Um, to the season either you know what I mean we're not going to go nuts and go absolutely crazy and sort of you know trade for Luis Robert which I talked about in yesterday's show before the deadline that I thought that you know it would be fun I'd love it as a content creator are you kidding me I'd get a bajillion of engagement you know what I mean and I'm all about that engagement as anyone who's familiar with the my jinx antics on Twitter uh, right like I'm all about that sometimes but I think that the Padres basically said look this team all year has been disappointing this team all year has had loser energy for the most part, uh, whether it be Xander Bogarts' two double plays on Monday, whether it be Manny Machado uh, mouthing off a bit about people using the word desperate, and then you go out and get killed by the Rockies, right? And then you you sweep the, who was it that they swept? 
I forgot who they swept before the, the infamous Giants series. Maybe they didn't sweep anybody, but you sweep the Angels, then you lose the next series, right? So they've been so up and down, and you've been waiting for them to blow up, that I think it would have been a mistake to fully go in on this season. So instead, they took what I'm going to call, due to laziness and not a better apt comparison, the Atlanta Braves approach. Atlanta Braves, of course, won the World Series a few years ago, and a big thing that helped them was they just took shots, some lottery ticket shots at players who they thought were at least better than what they were showing and had a lot of upside, and they gave up nothing out of it because their thing was, look, we had Acuna hurt that year. They had, um, I think Ozzy Albies was hurt that year. They had their pitching hurt with, with Mike Soroka, who's supposed to be their ace, and you know they probably looked at it and said, all we could count on is Freddie, so how about instead of going all in this year, we're just going to make small little trades. And they got Adam Duvall, and they got Eddie Rosario, Jorge Soler, who goes on to win the World Series MVP. They just took a bunch of guys that were super undervalued and, more importantly, having bad seasons where there was nowhere to go but up. And I think that's what the Padres did here. I'm not saying this means they're going to win the World Series. I just like that they said, all right, like we're going to make these moves, and if they don't work, that's okay. We don't have to worry about it destroying our future, giving up on guys like Jackson Merrill and Ethan Salas and Dylan Lesko. You don't want to give up those prospects right now because you already gave up so many of them last year. Preller, it's a mistake to, I think, in my opinion, while he's done a good job at it, to fully just bank on being able to find new talent uh, for your farm system. The Pirates have been able to do that for the majority of um, Preller's tenure. But I think that I just love this deadline. I really do. I think that this was basically everything I could ask for. I mentioned on the pod that my dream scenario was to just get a couple okay bats and an okay reliever. I think they did even better than that. I think that they, the acquisition of Choi and Cooper as DH platoons is going to be awesome for this team. Not giant difference makers, but they don't need that. On paper, they have that with Xander, with Tatis, with Soto, with Machado. And then, of course, Hassan Kim, who's basically vaulted into being the second best player on the team this year. <laughs> like, it's just so nuts how good he's been. And I like that. So their thing was, we don't need stars. We don't need difference makers. We just have to have the team play better. And if you want to bet on run differential, if you want to bet on stuff like that and say, look, the Padres have a better run differential than actual playoff teams right now. They have a better run differential than the Brewers, and the Brewers are in first place, right? So, and I'm pretty sure they have a better run differential than the Orioles, who everybody likes talking about. They're going to get smoked in the postseason, by the way. Uh, that Everyone's talking about that team. Well, the Padres have actually been better in that regard, and everything about them suggests that they could go on a run. Could is the key part here, and I think that's what Preller did. I think he looked at this and said, I'm not overly committing. That would be dumb. Uh, so let's just make a bunch of little moves. And I love them. I think Scott Barlow could be really great and help out the bullpen. Rich Hill wouldn't be surprised if he gets lit up like day one. <laughs> We're all like, okay, why did we do this? I think he was just a cherry on top, like throw in, like the onion ring when you order a bunch of French fries. You know what I mean? Like I, I think that's what they were they were going for. I think it was really great. The only thing that I think is worth discussing in terms of what the Padres could have done is should they have sold? On Blake Still and Josh Hader. Now, there were conflicting reports, but for the most part, up until the moment, it sounded like uh, the Padres just weren't going to deal those guys. You had Josh Hader the night before, according to John Heyman. They said that one team who engaged in Josh Hader said that the price was so high that it suggested the Padres were actually just trying to keep him. Totally cool with that negotiating thing. You know what I mean? Maybe they just wanted to not directly say we're not selling Josh Hader to increase leverage. And if they got something crazy in return, maybe let's say there was an overpay by Houston or some contending team, maybe the D-backs, not the D-backs, the, uh, the Rangers or something like that. Instead, that doesn't happen. So they kept them. 
The only thing worth debating is that. I don't think that the actual debate of what they did and what they acquired is there. And I forgot to mention, by the way, Sean Reynolds, former uh, position player, converted reliever. Genuinely, I don't know what to expect from him. So I'm not really talking too much about him. Maybe he'll be good. Maybe he won't. Um, last converted player we had, I think, was Austin Nola. You know what I mean? I think he converted to catcher. So, you know, not a great precedent for that. But we'll see how it goes. This is a different position. Totally different rules. Um, I think that whether or not they should have traded Snell and Hayter, it's it's tough because if you are only, again, this is on paper. This is theoretical uh, and not based on any sources I have or anything we heard. Is that, look, you saw what the Angels were able to do when they acquired Lucas Giolito and what the White Sox acquired. You've seen some other players that went for a decent value because it was a seller's market. So I think that you look at that and say, wow, if they got that for Giolito, if they if the Mets got that for Justin Verlander, or, you know, Justin Verlander is a little bit different, but, you know, what the Rangers got for Max Scherzer, what some of these other teams got for Jordan Montgomery and, and et cetera, et cetera. I think you look at this and say, Wow, what would they have gotten if they traded those two guys? Would they have gotten like a top 10 prospect? Or would they have gotten like a top 20 prospect? It's worth pointing out. But I think that Preller and company didn't want to fully give in because they believe in this team. I think overall. I think that they believe in the data and on paper. I don't believe in uh, this team nearly as much as other people. I just don't know if you can go like this well uh, for the whole rest of the season. Again, it's worth trying. I get that. I'm totally... Not against people who think that this Padres team, that you shouldn't give up on it and that these moves were good um, and that that's what they should have done. I do think the moves were good. I just don't know if they're going to amount to anything. But I think that almost is irrelevant um, to what my perspective on the trade deadline is, which is even if this doesn't work, it doesn't matter because they didn't give up a lot. And that was my dream scenario. I did not want to wake up and see, while it would have been fun, a Jackson, Merrill, and Ethan Salas for Luis Robert trade. I just didn't want to see it uh, because, and don't get me wrong, He's worth it. I get that. But I just think overly committing, you know, sticking, having everything just stick the way it is. And I talked about Luis Roberts. Strikeout rate is a little scary. Lack of walks is a little scary, too, that I just think it would have been better if they stood pat. There were weird, flimsy rumors that the Padres were in on Justin Verlander. Same thing for the Orioles. Uh, then they changed their minds for whatever reason. I don't know what's true. I don't know what's not true. All I know is I think the Padres had a really great deadline, and it's one of my favorite kind of Preller uh, masterclasses, honestly, in a while. I really, really do. I think that this was excellent work from him. The question about A.J. Preller, in my opinion these days, is surely the impatience and then also his micromanaging across other parts of the organization. Um, and I think the big part to note about the organization is, I've said this before on my show, uh, why, does it, why does no player get better when joining the Padres? They either stay the way they are or they get worse. Seriously, and aside from someone like Joe Musgrove, for the most part, guys get worse when they get to the Padres, and I think that's an organizational thing, not some ballpark thing. Because if it was ballpark, we'd have stats to be able to track that, you know what I mean, like WRC+. Plus. But I don't think uh, that's the case. So hopefully the Padres aren't going to ruin all their guys that they just acquired, and that Scott Barlow isn't going to become, you know, uh, Luis Severino, the way that guy's been pitching for the Yankees lately, right? Like, hopefully it doesn't com completely crash, or hopefully it doesn't become Luis Garcia, right? So <laughs> nothing like that. Uh, but... Nonetheless, I think that Preller did its best of a job you could do. I really love this deadline. And if they are going to make a run, this is going to be remembered for a while. People are going to say, look, you did not have to just only acquire superstars. You have them already. So just acquire depth, call it a day, you go on a run, maybe make some noise in the postseason. So if there's any reason for hope, 
Yesterday's trade deadline, I believe, did exactly that. And I did exactly my way of covering it, ladies and gentlemen. On today's episode of the Lockdown Padres podcast, the only pod that may be better than the Padres themselves, that basically is it for this whole Padres podcast. Mm-hmm. I stumbled there on the outro, but it's okay. We're going to keep the keep the ship flying and sailing uh, smoothly. Uh, tomorrow's episode, we're probably going to be doing that crossover with Millard Thomas. We're recording it tonight. Probably talk about just our overall favorite trade deadline moves. I think that'll be a lot of fun, uh, just because this wasn't like the most thrilling deadline. Uh, just going to talk about a bunch of them. I'm going to be weird with my picks, as usual. Going to try not to be a super homer, but we'll see. I, I might I might throw in the G-Man Choi one in there. I might. I might. I, I, I can't help it. I can't help it. So we're going to talk about that. And then after that, Arm Layton... Um, Founder, co-founder of Just Baseball. He's a big prospect guy. We're going to talk about that stuff as well. Uh, just the, an overall look at the Padres farm system that mostly remained intact following the trade deadline. And then more series recaps and just vibes. Hopefully they can do something. But if not, it's okay, guys. You know why? Because you always have to keep the faith no matter what. Because we're Padres, folks. And with that all being said, that about does it for today's edition of the Lockdown Padres podcast. The only pod that may be better than the pa. Dre's themselves. I've said that now three times on this podcast, but you get my point. Until next time, stay safe and of course, stay faithful, my fire faithful homies. Take care.